Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will Welcome to Text Talk. Today's episode will be looking at Acts chapter 18. We're glad that you've come along for the study and the discussion. Edwin, what's the text we will discuss today? I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, verses 1 through 5. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So we're picking up with the Apostle Paul in the midst of this second missionary journey. We just finished some episodes looking at Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle was preaching the unknown God and declaring him in Athens, Greece, right? It begins by saying, after this. I know you want to share what the this was. So I was, yeah, absolutely. I think we always need to ask that question. And and that was the uh, preaching of the gospel, particularly the word of resurrection at the Oropagus. And one of the things we were noticing in the last episode was the uh, three different responses to the preaching of the gospel. And that is, there were some who mocked the apostle even at that time. Uh, They thought that this message of resurrection of Christ was foolishness. That was a hard no. Uh, There were some others who said, we want to hear more about this. And so we would assume, we would understand that there were other discussions, at least one-on-one with the Apostle Paul and some of these members of the Oropagus. And then the third uh, response was people who believed. And that is that there were some conversions at that time and even a, a, a member of this council. Uh, became a Christian. And so it was a fruitful ministry in Athens, although we're not told about great numbers. Uh, but but the, when Paul left there, there was a church. He continues traveling in this Roman province of Achaia. He goes to really the major city at that time of the province, which is Corinth. And, uh, you know, probably from our history classes and, you know, Western culture classes and coming up in school, we would learn more about Athens and ancient Greece. But Corinth was a big, big deal in the first century. Uh, you have, uh, a, again, a port, a trading capital, very significant town. And as Paul makes his way into this city, he finds, well, hey, here are some Jews who've recently come to Corinth themselves, not under good circumstances. And maybe I'll just say this real quick. Uh, for those text talkers who've been listening to several of our episodes, we know that the Apostle Paul has been getting chased out of a lot of these towns. It looks like he gets to leave Athens of his own free will. And uh, coming into Corinth then, he finds a couple of people, as you read, Ananias, excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla. Mm. Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, They had to leave Rome, but not under good circumstances. No, Claudius drove out the Jews, and even though Aquila and Priscilla are Christians, they are Jewish Christians, and there's still some, 
idea among the Romans and the Greeks that Christianity is merely a sect of Judaism. They're not yet necessarily seeing it as distinct. So even though Aquila and Priscilla have become Christians, they are still lumped by Claudius and the Romans in with just the Jews. And so they get kicked out of Rome. They've come to Corinth. Paul spends some time with them, especially because they're all tent makers. And so because they have that commonality, they end up spending some time together. You know, this is not where I was going to go, but just saying that out loud makes me think of uh, one of the things I think we need to consider today pragmatically. Uh, We don't want cliques to form in churches. And by cliques, we're talking about closed circles that only allow insiders in and they're going to keep people on the outside. But that doesn't change the fact that there are some natural things that connect us with other people. And so here's Paul. He's found a natural connection with Priscilla and Aquila because they have the same occupation. They have the same trade that they have been trained up in. And so we don't need to be ashamed of that and we don't need to be upset. In fact, there are circles of influence and circles of connection and contact that are going to happen. I think one of the big mistakes we often make in churches is the idea of thinking that the way a church is supposed to work is everybody knows everybody and everybody is friends with everybody and it's all on an equal playing field that everybody in the congregation I am equally connected to. But that is just not possible. It is not reasonable. Even Jesus, probably the one person in all of human history who could pull that off because it would take a miracle, even he had the 12 that he was more connected to. And even among the 12, he had the inner circle. And even among the inner circle, he had the disciple whom he loved. And so we don't need to be upset that there are these natural connections, circles of influence, circles of contact that grow up. What the real goal is, is to make sure that within the church and within a congregation that everybody has somebody. Everybody knows somebody and somebody is known by everybody. Everybody is connected to somebody and somebody is connected to uh, by someone. That, that's, that's what we're shooting for in churches. And sometimes that'll take place through these natural connections. I feel like you're wanting to add something or, or subtract something or tell me I'm completely wrong. Or go Well, ahead. I was just going to say, you know, you're, you're kind of pointing to, I've, I've heard it described this way, affinity, affinity groups. Sure. Okay. Things in common. Uh, with this instance, you've got a common ethnicity of of. Jew, uh, I'm talking about Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, but then you also, as you mentioned, the same occupation tent maker. I think there's a pragmatic reason why they would get together also, that clearly they're going to be doing this for a living and and to support themselves for a time. The other thing I would say about that is that, uh, you know, the a larger a congregation gets, you know, if the church at Corinth is really just the three of them, then uh, actually they do know each other really well, and sure. it's just a real tight family. But as this chapter progresses and we see great numbers of people becoming Christians, by the end of the chapter, you've got a large church at Corinth. And so some of those dynamics that you were talking about, they're going to change, and they must change uh, as, as the cause grows and the cause prospers. Uh, as I look at Paul and working here with Aquila and Priscilla, I see here that the apostle is is willing to do what is necessary for the furtherance of the cause of Christ. Um, if that means going to a town where he doesn't know there's necessarily a church there, or at least he wants to do some more preaching and teaching, he's going to go there. And uh, whether or not anybody goes with him, you know, we're going to read about some of his traveling companions catching up with him. Uh, he's striking out here on his own. And not only that, he's going to a place where there's not a church that's going to be able to uh, support him financially. Um, so what's he going to do? 
uh, he's going to take up this trade. Isn't it great how Luke uh, is introducing us to Paul all along through the book of Acts, just giving us these little tidbits, these little nuggets. Did you know that he was a tent maker before this chapter? No, not before this. You know, we meet him as like chief persecutor first. We're going to find out about his education. He's a scholar. He's a rabbi. He's all these kinds of things. But it just comes out in the narrative. And like, oh, and he was a tent maker by trade. Well, how about that? (laughs) Well, tying back to Peter, as we often do with Paul, you know, what was Peter? Peter was a fisherman. A fisherman. A fisherman. And so we, we see this... The folks who are used by God are normal people. Yeah, you know, even as you said, and this, this may be this may be broad. I I don't know, but we talk a lot, and we like to do those sermons about how Peter was a fisherman, and I'll make you fishers of men, and let's go fishing for men. Um, Paul's a tent maker, and isn't he the one that writes about you know the the hardships that we have in this tabernacle? We want to put off this earthly tent <laughs> until is that. Well, I think Is he does say random? some things too about deep? that. I think he does say some things about that. So, I, I just, I guess, I haven't done the sermon about you know, let's take care of the tent like like I have about let's go fishing for men. <laughs> when just, I so hang on, I got to write down a sermon idea. Yeah, write that down. Write that down. So for a time, he is working in tent making. However, when uh, what is it, Silas and Timothy show up, he is occupied with the word. Occupied yes. with yes. the word. What what does that look like? Well, you know, um, it probably looks a little bit like tent making. Um, <laughs> actually, I, 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 a little another little memory just uh, just came to mind, and that is, I think you can do a little word study uh, on the passage in Timothy about handling the word accurately so that you not be ashamed, and that that has to do. With a cutting and a measuring and a mm. handling of the word of God, um, <laughs> rightly just, dividing, just rightly correct. cutting the word. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, a similar kind of imagery there is the person who would be working with the material and taking the pattern and putting it together. Um, important intent making in that trade. But you know, let me tell you something too. You like that ESV? I like this New King James. And uh, in this New King James, it's actually rendered a little bit differently. Compelled by the Spirit. Mm. That's a manuscript difference. Yeah. That is a manuscript difference. The Textus Receptus has compelled by the Spirit. The the newer, uh, well, actually, the older manuscripts have the idea (laughs) with the Word. With with the the Word. word. Mm -hmm. Sure enough. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what you see then is a fellow who is, I would think, involved in this ministry, and uh, whether it is the Holy Spirit that is moving him now to continue in this word, um, I mean, really, I guess that would be where I, I would see perhaps some understanding there that uh, the Holy Spirit is driving this. Okay, the Holy Spirit is, well, certainly Paul has been guided by the Spirit, yeah. and not by not by little nudges and thoughts that he thinks may be the Holy Spirit, and so he's decided to do a certain thing. But clearly with Paul, there is actual straight-up revelation given to him. There are true visions and dreams that he has seen. There there are completely well-known communications given to him from God that has directed him, sometimes saying, don't go here, sometimes saying, go here. Sure. And so... It's not at all surprising that if that's the the way the text is supposed to be read, compelled by the Spirit, that that would go along with what Paul has done and what Paul has, um, how Paul has behaved. Yeah. 
So we've got these manuscriptal differences, and it seems as these other translations are coming out now that the, the greater amount of evidence for the manuscript is this idea of being occupied with the Word. So if it's the idea of being compelled by the Spirit, that corresponds with Paul's behavior and track record and how he's going to do, go. If it is occupied with the Word, what does that look like? I think the same thing. Oh, well, Explain. <laughs> I think that his ministry is to publish this gospel and make it known. So the idea of occupied with the word is there is a word of God that is supposed to... And it is his work to spread it and to make it known in this place. And that's exactly what it goes on to say, testifying yeah. to the... What does it say? Now i got to go back to make sure I'm getting the words. Yeah, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Yeah. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And he, he does this, of course, by going into the scriptures, by sharing with them what the scriptures had said. We have seen that also as part of his modus operandi. We've seen that everywhere he goes, he reasons from the scriptures. And so the idea of being occupied with the word is going to be, I know the word. Mm. I'm in the word. Mm. I'm studying the word. The word is so much in me that that's what comes out of me. Here's the message of God, and I've got to be busy doing that. And I recognize that not everyone is going to be, well, almost no one is going to be what Paul was. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, you know, so being occupied with the word does not mean I have to go on missionary journeys all over Europe and Asia. Being occupied with the word doesn't even necessarily mean I have to be a preacher. But I think we all need to be in that state of the word is so much a part of my life that I can talk about being occupied with it. It's it's something I give my attention to, my thought to, and it drives my life and it governs the way I act and I work. So for Paul, of course, that meant as an apostle, as an evangelist, to be out there teaching that. And I, just, I, I guess what I want to do is have that kind of occupation, an occupation with the word, which tying together the two different strands of those possible texts, I think tying that together, I believe the yeah. spirit works through the word. I'm not yeah. saying that's the only way he works. But I believe he does work through the word. So when I'm yeah. occupied with the word, I am being compelled by the spirit. Well, of course he does. And what you have is an occupation. They are tent makers by occupation. And yet this does not steal away the apostle's mission. He is occupied with spreading the gospel of Christ. Absolutely. I think there's a wonderful thing to see that in our affinity of the circle of people that are our friends, our coworkers that we may influence, uh, uh, that we have a higher calling and occupation, and that is to take the word of God to the people around us. We ought not to see that whatever vocation or work we might be involved in today is going to be taking us away from or robbing us away uh, from the opportunity to share the gospel, but it actually facilitates an opportunity to share the gospel. We'd love to know what you're learning in your occupation with the word. Email us at texttalk at christiansmeethere.org. Andrew, wrap us up with a prayer. Our great God and Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, for health, for strength, for the opportunity to share the word of God with other people. We are moved and encouraged again by the example of the Apostle Paul, willing to go to the lengths necessary to take your word to other people. And Father, may we as well take the opportunities that you have presented before us today to share the good news with others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. 
Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. Well,